welcome you sexy goddess to the sweetest little life. I am your host, Courtney Hansen. I'm an author, yogi, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist specializing in trauma. My passion is to bring you wisdom each week with amazing guests to spark integration of all parts of yourself, to nurture your spirit, stimulate the mind, and love your body just a little bit more with each episode that drops. If you love this podcast and want more amazing resources for spiritual growth and holistic healing, make sure to download our app, The Sweetest Little Life, or head to the website, thesweetestlittlelife.com. Grab your favorite cup of tea or throw on your yoga pants and head for a walk while we hang out for the next 30 minutes of Soul to Soul Connection. Hey, welcome to The Sweetest Little Life. How are you this morning? I am great. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Yes, I cannot wait for today's conversation. So I love to kick off the podcast and just hear who you are, your story, how you got doing the work that you're doing and what that looks like today. Well, it's interesting because I actually just moved back to the town where I was born. Oh my gosh. Auburn, Alabama in the United States. And I'm having all kinds of memories. I didn't grow up here. My grandparents were here, but this was where I decided to go to college out of high school. I was living in Hawaii. And I went to Auburn University, this huge college. I did great in school. I remember being so happy. I was 18. I had the best time. I fell in love for the first time. I was walking. I wasn't eating. I was having a great time. And then one day, I just decided I didn't want to be here anymore. And I called. This was after a summer program. And I called my parents and I said, I've changed my mind. And the reason I changed my mind is I decided I wanted to go to a school that was close to a hockey team. So I left Alabama, moved all the way up to the edge of the United States to Bellingham, Washington, went to a school that was nothing compared to this university in Auburn so that I could be next to a hockey team. I stopped going to class. I remember sitting in the library crying, not being able to do things. And then I'd be happy and then I'd be upset. Finally, I just started partying, something I'd never done, and I met a boyfriend up in Vancouver in Canada and left, flunked out of college, which in my family you don't do, moved in with him. Luckily, he was a very nice man. And now, of course, I know that was my first massive manic episode. And I look back now that it was 40 years ago, and I'm driving by the dorm just this morning where I was manic the first time, and nobody knew what it was. So when he broke up with me, I went into my first psychotic suicidal episode at age 19. And I remember this so clearly because I'd been so excited at the beginning of our relationship. And I'm driving down the street or on my bicycle and a bus is coming towards me. And I had the thought life would be so much better if I ran my bicycle in front of that bus. Mm. I had never had a thought like that. I was very stable in high school. Now, of course, looking back, the symptoms of bipolar disorder and my psychotic disorder had started. So that was, those were my first two big episodes, but I was not diagnosed for 15 years. And for 15 years, I had rapid cycling bipolar disorder, as well as a psychotic disorder. And I moved constantly. Nobody could really get a handle on me. But as somebody typical with bipolar, I had long periods where I did very well. And then I'd get sick and I'd leave. And I was finally diagnosed with bipolar disorder. But interestingly, my partner at the time was diagnosed with bipolar the year before me. Oh, my gosh. Two people. Yes. And he was from France. And we met in Japan. Wonderful man named Ivan. So we literally 
lived together, wonderful man, for 10 years, two people with bipolar. And that's why I think my work is so different than everybody else, because I live with bipolar and a psychotic disorder. My diagnosis is called schizoaffective bipolar type. And we can talk about more psychosis if you want to. And he yeah. had bipolar one. And so I wrote the first book ever written for partners of anybody with a brain illness, loving someone with bipolar disorder. Then I wrote a treatment plan that I sold as one of the first eBooks ever in 2002. Then I was contacted by a publishing company and I wrote loving and then take charge of bipolar disorder. And I wrote getting it done when you're depressed. And then I just updated two of my other books. And then I had another book come out last year called OMG, That's Me, Volume 2. And it's been difficult. COVID was hard. Writing these three books during COVID, I got quite sick. I am somebody who lives with bipolar daily, but I have a life. I have lots of stable relationships. I have a very strong family, but it's difficult, Courtney. And so my message is those of us who live with these difficult illnesses, unipolar, bipolar disorder, schizoaffective, schizophrenia, really severe anxiety, we have a medical illness. And medical illnesses have to be managed, as you know, with a, a wide variety of help. And that's my specialty. So I'm a management specialist for mood, psychotic, and anxiety disorders. I have all of the symptoms that I write about, but I use the system that's in my book. And most of my work now is with parents, partners, and I train healthcare professionals. And then my work with people who have bipolar is through my books or on Instagram. So that's my quick explanation of how I got where I am at age 58. Oh my gosh, you're incredible. So I'm laughing because you said a few places. So I lived in Bellingham. Bellingham, Washington. I went to Western. Yeah, okay. Went to Western. Okay. So I'm actually originally from Edmonds. And oh gosh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, when I was a senior, my, my parents sent me to a rehab in Bellingham called Vis <laughs> Visions. It's an all-girl facility. It's like a lockdown horse camp. It's horrible. Um, and then I, it was so funny. I was looking on Zillow because my holistic healing center is in Auburn, California. And I accidentally typed in Auburn and these beautiful houses were coming up for like quarters of the prices. And I'm like, of course. I'm yeah. moving yesterday. And I realized I was in Auburn, Alabama. I'm like, oh, there's an Auburn, Alabama. And then so well, just... Auburn, like every place else, unfortunately, is booming. And so we had hoped when we moved here that we would not hit those high prices, but they've started. It's well, sort that, of hitting It's an incredible area. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. I never thought I would come back here, but I'm very happy here. Yeah. But Bethlehem is interesting. It's a, it's a beautiful place and there's lots of stuff to do up there. But my decision profoundly affected my life. If I'd stayed at Auburn, I, of course, would have finished. And it, it took me eight years to get a college degree, which is very, very typical in bipolar. We tend to go to college a lot, but we tend to drop out because college like work is very hard for the bipolar brain. We have, to, we have to teach ourselves how to manage uh, the incredible amount of pressure that's on you in a job and in school, which is sort of the same thing. You've got to have a plan in place if you have bipolar. But you have used this as almost like a superpower. No, I would never. And I and th you know what? Thank you. I respect you for saying that. And thank you because that's a very nice compliment. But no, it is an enormous disability for me. Okay. I had to rework my entire life. I am sick 
a lot. I can work part-time. Okay. That's the thing when people hear me, that's why I always try to be really honest is they're like, what? I've written like 11 books, right? And I can do all these things. And I'm like, no, that's over a period of 20 years. You're seeing a career that somebody else could have done that you're looking at. You're like, oh, wow, she goes a lot. And she go, go, go. I don't. I have to take enormous breaks. For example, when I was working on the second edition of one of my books, I just turned it in yesterday. I had to stop everything. I took Facebook off my phone. I took Instagram off my phone. I couldn't socialize. I had to get an enormous amount of extra sleep. I was sick almost the whole time I was editing, which was six weeks. There was a large part of me that thought I wasn't going to finish, but I have a plan. I have my plan from getting it done when you're depressed and I used it and I finished, but it was, it's enormously difficult. So I would, though I respect people who do see their brain illnesses as superpowers, I don't. It's, it's an enormous disability for me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I love hearing different people's mm-hmm. perspectives because it is so different. It's so different. Case. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for the audience that's listening, and I know a lot of people in our audience do suffer with bipolar disorder, and I think a lot of times it's undiagnosed. What were the signs you talked about your first manic episode? How did you, looking back, what did that feel like inside of your body? Well, it's so obvious now, and I think largely because of my work, I I started, I had the very odd situation of starting a webpage in 2002 when Mm -hmm. literally webpages were starting to take off and I had one of the first Google advertising accounts. There was no social media. We did everything on message boards. So a lot of my work that was already in some of my books really sort of decimated all over the internet. And one of the things that I taught from the very beginning is that bipolar is an illness of contrasts. So it's not a personality disorder. It's not trauma. There's no relationship between bipolar and trauma. Trauma can make bipolar worse. Of course it can, but it doesn't create bipolar. Truly a genetic illness, right? So if you looked at how I was up until age 18, when literally overnight I I changed, now we obviously would see the manic episode. But in 1982, I hadn't written my books. We didn't have the internet. People didn't know the signs. So this was just Julie being weird. So what you're looking for is a change in what a person thinks, says, and does without a reasonable explanation for the change. So there is often not a trigger in bipolar disorder. We can have triggers, but we, for example, can be in a relationship, get in a mood swing and turn to the person we love and say, never loved you, don't love you, don't want these kids, bye, and we will walk out the door. But at the same time, we can have a mood swing where we're not that interested in having a relationship, but suddenly we're sleeping with three different people. We get married in two weeks and we think we're having the greatest time of our lives. So it's about contrast. So what you're looking for is exactly what I went through. I'm doing fine in Auburn. I seem to be staying and suddenly I pick up and say, I want to live near a hockey team. It, it, <laughs> it made no sense to put your entire education that my whole family, that we're all teachers and all that kind of stuff. So Instead of somebody saying, Julie's weird, but we're going to support her because we love her, they'd go, wait a minute, that doesn't fit. I would be diagnosed now, easily. My bipolar is so obvious. And then I didn't tell people about my psychotic depression. People mm-hmm. now, especially I have a Gen X, um, excuse me, a Gen Z, I'm Gen X. My nephew is Gen Z, 20 years old. The difference in that amazing group of people is how much more they talk about their symptoms. I wasn't having shame or anything. I didn't know to talk about the fact that I was having hallucinations. I was paranoid. I used to have to wear sunglasses in class because I thought people were talking about me. I thought people were I had no idea. I'd never mentioned it. 
And in my mind, I remember thinking, you're asking what it felt like inside was psychosis, for example, and especially mania, a little bit different with depression. It feels so real and such a part of you that you just go with it. It's who you are. Depression feels awful. So with depression, you're like, oh, I hate this. Something's not right. I hate it. I hate it. But with euphoric mania and psychosis, there's such, there's no insight, right? So there's such a part of you. So I knew something was wrong and I went and got help for depression, but they never asked me any questions about mania. So what I felt was great when I was manic, that's the real me, not understanding that the psychosis was abnormal, but definitely knowing the depression was wrong. So I only got help for depression. And that's why so many of your listeners might not get the diagnosis that they need is because in bipolar two, for example, often the mania, especially at the beginning, feels too good. So they only go get help for depression. Then they're put on a medication that makes mania come out like an antidepressant, and then they'll get diagnosed. So feelings wise, there's no way I could have recognized mania and psychosis unless I was educated. I only recognized the depression. Wow. So when you were in psychosis with the hallucinations, was that something that just came on when you were older? That wasn't something that you struggled with during childhood? Uh, no. So pediatric onset is actually a very, just like with diabetes, for example, we, there's a reason we say juvenile diabetes and adult onset diabetes. So there is pediatric onset brain health, brain disorders, mm -hmm. profoundly different from the typical teen, late, mid to late teen onset of typical bipolar. Juvenile bipolar and regular bipolar, which is teen to adult onset, are two different illnesses. They have a, a different treatment path. They have a different way that they present themselves. Same illness, but different. So my first psychotic episode was 16. I remember it very clearly now. I was in a bookstore and I heard a loud, booming voice tell me to leave. And I remember I was reading a Far Side Comics because I'm 58 and that's what we did in the bookstore. Walden Books, Honolulu Mall, and I... Yeah, and I'm reading this book and I looked around and went, does somebody call my name? And I got up and left. And that was my first command voice in hallucinations. And I had them from age 16 to 31 before I was diagnosed. And I still have them if I get stressed. So I have a persistent psychotic disorder. It's consistent over time. Bipolar is not. Bipolar is episodic. But I live in almost consistent psychosis, which is why I have to modify my life so much. I, I get psychotic very easily. I'm on the schizophrenia spectrum. Okay. Oh, and I'm goodness. not embarrassed at all about any of this. None of this embarrasses me. It's no different than having diabetes. I have, I just literally have no embarrassment. I just don't. I love it. Nor yeah. should you. Yeah. And I think we I are coming. No. And I think what's really beautiful now is that we are coming to a space and time where it is becoming so that like, it really is. Everyone has something right. So well, can, can you believe you're doing a podcast where we're talking this openly? Open. About this? I, know. I would have died for something like this when I was 18. Right. And nothing. So this yeah. is great. Yeah. I'm like, I would just, I feel like we've just come leaps and bounds with people realizing that, you know, I feel like for so long it was like mental health was this like hidden, you know, Scary. oh, you need to be, it's horrible. You need to be ashamed of it. We need to hide it and cover it. And our family looks great on the outside. And now it's like, no, it's, it's pretty fucking normal. We all got some, just some sort of story. Yeah. Yeah. And I bipolar is the, so if you look back in the oldest writings in medical history, mentioned three illnesses. So I'm going to ask you, do you know what those three illnesses are? Well, depression for sure, probably. Part of it. So part okay. of it, depression would be part. Okay. Then think about the pancreas. 
diabetes. Diabetes, right. And then think about something that was talked about in the Bible, which is, and probably in other texts as well, that involves brain chemistry. And that's seizures. What would that be? Oh. Wait, so these three things? Right. So epilepsy, diabetes, and depression are the only three things? And bipolar Bipolar disorder. Not depression. Bipolar. So bipolar concludes, even though it's bipolar depression. So mood disorders, including psychosis. Now, we didn't, they did not have a big mention of schizophrenia in these old documents. That came a little bit later because schizophrenia at that time was still considered demon possession or a little bit different. Whereas the mood disorders, melancholia and mania, Greek and Roman words. And of course, you have the same illnesses in China and Saudi Arabia. They had different words. So diabetes, epilepsy and bipolar disorder. And guess what? The latest research is showing that the ketogenic metabolic diet that is used to manage epilepsy, and in some cases diabetes, looks like it's going to work for bipolar disorder. We're wow. now realizing all of these are insulin, which is, of course, as a, as chemi- it's a hormonal chemical, right? They are insulin-related illnesses. The meds used to treat epilepsy are the meds used to treat bipolar, and then the diet used to manage the diabetes is used in epilepsy and bipolar disorder. And those are the three of the main illnesses mentioned in the Bible and in Egyptian texts and Greek and Roman texts. Fascinating. It's very fascinating. And so you can't really, how are these illnesses so robust, right? They're robust illnesses. Thousands. We're talking, I think it's 3000 BC when we first hear, but Hippocrates absolutely talked about bipolar disorder and then of course you look in asia and you have different types of communication and i'm sure in africa which would have been a more verbal communication mm-hmm. ancient illnesses they're not new none of these illnesses are new just people didn't know what they were didn't know what they were yeah or so, how to cope with them but isn't it interesting though that they were not enough to kill people in a way you would think so many of these illnesses were would because they're all dangerous and yet somehow people survived. Now, diabetes mellitus was a little different until insulin. A lot of people died. Right. But epilepsy and bipolar, because they're episodic for so many people, we survived and they're in our family trees now. I find it fascinating. I think genetics and bipolar is the future. It's the only way we're ever going to eradicate bipolar is through genetics. It's not medication. Right. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, oh gosh, I have so many questions. I know. It's so fun to talk to you. <laughs> I'm all, my brain's going a million miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you first started researching this, was it almost a sense of peace to realize that this has been around for so long? Because I think a huge part of it is that it re- really in the big scheme of things, right? This has just started to be something that's like openly discussed and so many people have it or were undiagnosed and they're like oh this makes so much sense now to have that acceptance when you really started doing your research and looking hey courtney i've lost you oh hello there we go. Uh, Courtney, I lost you. Can you ask that again? Oh, absolutely. I'll edit that out. Let me make a note real quick on 21. Yeah. yeah. Where did... I lost the whole question. Went, wah, wah, wah. Oh, no. Okay. Yep. Um, so let's 
see, where was I? Okay. So does this give you a sense of peace that looking back and when you started actually doing the research and understanding how far back it went, was it like, ah, yes, this is one of like the foundational things that for so long people have had no resources or nowhere to go or, you know, even with medications and things like you were saying, this comes down to genetics. This comes down to there is probably in a hundred years from now, what do you see happening with bipolar disorder and with schizophrenia and with all these different psychosis? Because right now it's meds that we're given and I've seen so many people go off meds and learn how to manage it. So where did you come up with your treatment plan that you've seen so many results with? Like, how did you craft that? Well, first, just to just to clarify, there are very, very few people with bipolar or schizophrenia who can manage it without meds. Okay. It's almost impossible. You can have milder forms of bipolar disorder. Let's say you're lower on the spectrum of bipolar two, but it's not managed. It's just like with epilepsy. Now, like I said, there's some promise for this diet, but boy, it's a very intense diet. It's not the keto that you see on Instagram. So there's some promise, but it's important to know I use meds. I, 80% of my management is natural management. And that includes lifestyle changes, behavioral changes, and asking for help. That's what's in my book, Take Charge of Bipolar Disorder. But I have these pesky symptoms where I have to use lithium and I have to, I have to get help for them, especially if I completely stop sleeping. I use sleep meds. So that's an important thing. But going back, yes, I feel better knowing it's genetic, but I think it's ridiculous that I was one of the only people who was writing about this 20 years ago. It was not really in books. And it's only with the advent of the internet that a lot of this information was spread. So in the late 1800s, when you had an ex sort of an explosion, of course, with the Industrial Revolution and then talking more, you did see a big change. And that's when psychiatry was invented, right? That's when it happened. And it's still thought a lot, oh, you had bad parenting, et cetera. It's really only recently that we've even thought about it being an illness, not even talking about it being genetic, just that it's an illness. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I feel better, but it was pretty late in my diagnosis that I even found all of the correct information about how we can prevent it. So a big part of my work now is teaching. I work a lot with parents who have bipolar. I work with the partners, how we're going to prevent it in the child of the person. So my nephew, for example, and he's given me permission to talk about him. He's actually in my latest book. I raised him along with his fabulous parents and my mom. He had four people raising him to not use any of the substances known to make bipolar worse. And so we're doing everything possible to have him never get bipolar. He got the depression, but so far at age 20, no mania. And by the time you're 20, most mania has come out. It's about this time. So we're being careful. And that's antidepressants, ADD meds, steroids, and cannabis marijuana. We don't touch it. No hallucinogenics. And so that's my new system that I teach. It's not new, but that's the system I teach. And then in terms of how did I come up with my system, it's because there was no help for people like me who did not respond well to medications. I take meds, but I can't use them for everything. And I had lived and gone through my partner almost dying. And I mean that very seriously. I talk about it in Loving from Bipolar. And I watched how the, he, they just handed him a bag of medications. And I'm not joking. Mm -hmm. And then I figure out that I have bipolar because it was never caught, which has happened a lot back then. So I just said, there's got to be a better way. And that's literally how this happened. Two people in a loving relationship, sick as dogs, right? I'm like, come on. There were only 12 books on the market when I was diagnosed with bipolar. 
12 books and only one book had management in it and it had about 12 pages of management. I wrote the first management plan for bipolar. Now it's everywhere, but back then there was nothing. And so that's how it came out of necessity. I knew I was going to die. I was not, and I mean this, I knew I was not going to make it. My depression and my psychosis were so severe. I was going to die if I didn't get help. And I wrote the plan and I put it on the internet first. And that's when I got all the interesting interest from the publishing company. So it was definitely necessity. But I agree with you when you're talking about before about it being a superpower, maybe the superpower was me falling in love with somebody with bipolar one and neither one of us knowing we had bipolar. He was eight years younger than me. And that's why his hadn't come out yet. And so I think that might be what makes things different. That's what got me started was watching what he went through, then seeing it also in myself and going, we need more. And that's when I wrote the book. Now, a hundred years, bipolar is gonna be gone. I believe that with all of my heart. We're heading towards that now Schizophrenia is a bit more complex because schizophrenia is a neurodegenerative illness. It actually affects brain space. So you see a shrinkage in the brain in schizophrenia, which means it's probably having shrinkage in my brain as well. With bipolar, you don't see that as much. So I think we'll probably learn to manage bipolar first with maybe CRISPR technology, which is the new genetic, you know, splicing technology. I believe these are genetic illnesses that will be literally eradicated with gene therapy. And it's going to be within the next 25 to 50 years, in my opinion. I think we, I'm going to be one of the last generations who has to rely exclusively on lifestyle behavior changes. I think my nephew, who's 20 now, is going to see the curing of bipolar disorder in his lifetime. That is amazing. Yeah, we're, we're, we're moving too fast genetically right now for that not to happen. Right. Now, we don't have for bipolar yet. And There is a a fantastic, it's very hard to read, believe me, so don't go into this book unless you're ready, called Hidden Valley Road that shows a family that has, I think, 12 members, I think it is, and 10 have schizophrenia, something like that, or it's it's eight and five or something, it was big, and he does an excellent job of showing the research that's going into these mood and psychotic disorders, and once we determine the genes that affect bipolar and then we perfect gene therapy, we'll be able to cure it, but it won't be in my lifetime. I don't believe that. Yeah. With, when, with the audience listening, what are some signs that they can look for if this is a journey that they're new to or that they're experiencing, you know, highs and lows? How do you tell the difference between just a regular I'm feeling really energetic to a manic episode. What does that look like for you? Great question. Mania is always, always a part of mania is a sleep disorder. People who are excited and happy still sleep. So when you're looking at bipolar, whether you're looking at the mania, depression, which are our mood swings, or the other symptoms, which are psychosis, irritation, anger, OCD symptoms, ADD symptoms, and anxiety, and those are either attached to a manic episode or a depressed episode. We always have changes in sleep. Mm. So I had a friend who had a very well-known, very well-known psychiatrist. And he said to her once, bipolar will one day be seen as a sleep disorder. We are there. I see bipolar as a sleep disorder. So what you're looking for, if you're thinking, am I just moody? Is this trauma? Because trauma can cause a lot of behaviors that look like bipolar in the day. Oh, for sure. Have them at night. You simply won't. People with bipolar who are manic do not sleep and they are not tired the next day. It is not insomnia. 
People with bipolar do not have insomnia. We do not have sleep apnea. Now, can people who have bipolar also have those? Sure, but bipolar itself is a very different sleep disorder. Whatever the chemicals are that regulate sleep, which we are know are serotonin and melatonin and other things, but those two things, that's our wake-up chemical and our sleep chemical, we're off. That's why the meds that treat bipolar affect those. So if you are suddenly very upbeat about life, things are being done with ease, you're feeling much better about the future. You're like, you don't worry about it. You get things done much, much easier than normal. And you are sleeping significantly less. And I mean two or three hours. So let's Oof. say you normally sleep, you sleep seven and you can last on five and four hours and have no change in energy. That's mania. Now I have to be careful though, because if someone's using a lot of meth, for example, you might see that, but we get this without any drugs, with no drugs at all. Mania is a sleep disorder. So when I described to you my manic episode, I definitely was maybe here in Auburn. I remember having so much energy. I had stopped eating basically. And I remember having, I'd have these little tiny meals and I walked for hours. I got quite thin, which was, I loved it, right? And then I remember like just being up all the time. Never really ever, I don't recall ever being tired. School was easy. I got good grades. It was no problem. And then with depression, you cannot get out of bed. You have lethargy. You're sleeping more. You're putting the covers over you. You feel heavy like you're made out of concrete. So it's the contrast in sleep that's going to help you see the difference between am I having a mood, a real reaction to something that happened in life versus a manic and or a depressed episode. So look at sleep. And this goes for children and adults. There are no exceptions. All bipolar disorder episodes affect sleep. Well, delicious. I learned something new for today. That's how you diagnose. Yeah. And a good wow. diagnostician will ask you, this is how you know. Do you have somebody who understands? And by the way, very important to note, therapy is not a treatment for bipolar and therapists cannot manage bipolar. So that's really important. Therapy yes. is cool to have once you're diagnosed and you have insight. So you have to go to somebody who is trained. I train. I do a lot of healthcare training on how to see bipolar. And if they haven't asked you about sleep, they don't know what they're doing. Mm. It's a sleep disorder. It's a mood sleep psychotic disorder. If we're really honest, it's a mood, anxiety, sleep, psychotic disorder. I was, you just answered my thing. I was yeah. going to say, you know, anyone that I know that has it, it's always paired with anxiety or it's always, always. paired with something that's, um, you know, because you, yeah. you can't really pair it with depression because that kind of comes with it in itself. So, well, it's important to know that there's a huge, and I have lots of articles about this so people can just type it in. We don't have, in bipolar, we don't have depression. We have bipolar depression. All of our depression is tinged with mania, all of it. And what that means is if, if you're depressed and you add an antidepressant in, boom, we will be manic. If you're depressed and you add an ADD med, ADD med, we will be manic. If we're depressed and you add cannabis or a steroid, we'll get manic. So our depression is not unipolar. We have bipolar depression. And so I want to encourage people to talk about it that way. Bipolar depression, not depression. Yes. And so when, when you um, say the articles, is this something that people can, where can we find your work? Where can we get your books? All the things, because I know a lot of our listeners, this is something that they struggle with. And so 
I want to make it so you're accessible. So where is the best hub spot that people can reach out to if they're like, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. The, speaking to my soul. I, th- I think that people will be, because I had, I had the first bipolar blog. I had the first of three. There's only, th- I think there's only two of us left, left the original bipolar websites. One is with a dear advocate of mine, Dr. Jim Phelps. And let's start with Jim because I highly recommend his work. Dr. Jim Phelps at psycheducation.org. He's retired now, but if you really want to see real research into sleep, mania, depression, he helped really create what we call bipolar spectrum disorders now. So Jim and I, we literally start at the same time. In fact, he just wrote the foreword to my next book. So I had one of the first bipolar websites. And so I actually don't recommend going to my websites now. I don't use those as much. All you literally have to do is type in my name, Julie Fast, in any topic in bipolar, such as Julie Fast Mania. If you type in Julie Fast Mania, you will probably see 50 pages of my articles, interviews, books, et cetera. Okay. If you type in Julie Fast Psychosis, because I've, I've literally been around for 20 years, and so not a problem. If you are a parent, a, a partner, that kind of thing, you are going to find me on Facebook. So partners can go to the stable bed on Facebook. Parents, caregivers, friends, and other family members can go to the stable table. But I want to invite everybody who has bipolar, come join me on Instagram. I have loved Instagram. I've only been on it for two years and I keep my site very small because I answer all of my DMs, all of I them. I love that. Every time and it's thousands, believe me. I think I figured out it's about a thousand comments a month that I do. I'll Ooh. usually do about 10 a day. Now, not when I was doing my book, so I'm a bit behind now, but join me on Julie Fast Instagram. But otherwise, simply type in my name. Believe me, thousands of articles will come up. I also highly recommend bipolar magazine at bphope.com there's also healthy place which is another great place to go with great information i know the owner of that site but yeah just type in my name with the topic and something will come up amazing and i'll be sure to put this all in the show notes too so we can just link directly to these spots um, just to make great. it easier. Yeah. Thank you so much for, I could just talk to you all day. Great I know questions. I could, I have so <laughs> many, I was like, I'm, our brains just fascinate I me. <laughs> I could talk about this. So I could seriously have like a 12 hour podcast. That's so fun. I know. Enjoyable. Oh yeah. This can be, I try, I always say we are the detectives. Let's be brain detectives. Let's not be ashamed of these brain illnesses. 25% of us have them. Bipolar is about 5 to 6% of the world population. Unipolar, probably 10 to 15%. Schizophrenia, 1 to 2%. Then you add all personality disorders like borderline. We're at 25% of the world population. And so we are not abnormal. We just need to be interested in our own brains. Absolutely. And I, like I said, I am just, I really... I get chills even talking about it. I just love that the shame is being taken out of it and yeah. people are coming forward and people like you who are brave and like, this is me, this is, I, I'm going to be a change maker and making it accessible to so many people who don't feel understood. And I just, yeah. it makes me want to cry. <laughs> yeah, it. Well, when we share our stories, we save other people's lives. I don't think there's any question. And I, because I think my nephew changed me so much, you know, I'm 58. I've literally been living with this since I was 16. But there's a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old out there, and they write me all the time, believe me, who are just getting diagnosed. And I'm like, thank heavens you got a diagnosis because I didn't have that beautiful thing. I didn't know till I was 31 what was wrong. 
I'm so glad we're diagnosing correctly now. I'm very hopeful about bipolar. I, I'm, I don't have negative thoughts about it. We're going to figure out what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I have no doubt in my mind yet there. And the research. I mean, we're just, we're, research. we're moving too fast to not. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. Well, there thank- are positive. Yes. Well, thank you again, Julie, for your wisdom and for just doing everything that you're doing for the collective. You're incredible. Thank you, Courtney. I really enjoyed talking to you. You too. Thank you so much for listening to The Sweetest Little Life today. I hope you walk away feeling inspired, feeling a little bit more lighter, a little bit more free than what you were before you hit that play button. As always, please, sharing is caring. We love to hear your thoughts. We love to get feedback, um, guest recommendations, all the things. And if you're not subscribed, hit that little subscribe button before you leave today. And until next time, we will be hanging out soon.